Speaking Queerly. Hello, my name is Madam Joe Mama, and you are listening to Speaking Queerly, the podcast. We are Dumfries's one and only LGBTQIA plus podcast, and we're coming to you through the stove. This is episode two, and just like episode one, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Rudy Thinsmith. Hiya, gorgeous. Oh, hi, Joe. How are you tonight? I am stunning. How are you? I am absolutely stunning also, and... As always, I am thrilled to be here presenting this podcast with you and I hope that we are going to bring the very best of rural camp excellence to you listening at home this evening as well. Um, you can find us in all the usual places online. You can find us on Facebook uh, under Speaking Queerly with Madam Joe and Rudy, or you can find us on Instagram and threads at speaking.queerly. You absolutely can. Tonight we're going to be doing some more Reddit stories with Read It Reddit. We absolutely love the feralness of Read It Reddit. You're going to be bringing us another little queer fact. I will indeed. And we will be discussing some news topics uh, um relevant as of the 31st of October 2023. <laughs> um, if you didn't listen to the last podcast, yes, we are recording it on the same day because Ruri is away to Paris next week. That is true. I'm going to join the bedbugs in Paris. And we will get more into that a little bit later. Um, but in the meantime, Ruri, Joe, we got episode one out of the way. We did indeed. We've, we've done the thing. We're on Spotify. We have been for a week now. Well, I we have apparently we, we will have. <laughs> um, when you speak in the, in the current tense, as if the people are listening uh-huh. uh, in that in this exact moment. Um, but yeah, so we've been up on Spotify for a week now. Indeed, we have. And I'm going to assume the engagement's been lovely. I think that we have definitely in the past had the best engagement ever. Do you know, I really think, like, looking at our time at DCR, I think we had one of the more popular shows up at DCR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we will be very popular amongst <laughs> the rural people of Dumfries and Galloway here on Spotify. Also, you can listen to us anywhere, absolutely anywhere around this planet. So if you want to know what's happening in D&G for the rural community, <laughs> fire on. Fire on. Absolutely. It's... Uh, it's the, the centre of the queer world, Dumfries. <laughs> Apparently so. Because <laughs> to be fair, there are queer people everywhere in Dumfries and Galloway. Oh, it's hoaching. It's hoaching. Absolutely stop it, Fergies. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And everyone in between, quite frankly. Yep. Um, but I well, listen, we'll get into our show in just a wee moment. So, Rudy, you're away to Paris? I am indeed away to Paris. So, on the day we upload episode one, uh-huh. which is the second? Uh, yep, it will be. Yes. You're away, you're flying off. I will, I'll be, I'll be somewhere in the sky. I love Paris. Same. It is such a lovely city. Uh, the people, a mm, bit ignorant, but <laughs> I've got I've got family that live in Noisy le Grand, which is just outside of Paris. Uh-huh. And I stayed there in July twenty two. Uh huh. 
It was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, you, you had a really good time when you were, because you, you were there for Gaga, weren't you? We went for Gaga. Love we went that. Goo Goo for Gaga in Paris. <laughs> and we had a rare time, but it meant I got to catch up with my cousin Sue, who lives out in Noisy, um, and her family. Uh, we got given a tour of Paris by Sue's daughter, uh, Lottie, and we went around Paris. We went to a gay burger restaurant a gay burger restaurant they famously serve a burger that's shaped like a phallus wow and testicles okay um where i'll send you i'll send (laughs) but picture it it's this sketchy wee burger restaurant that has tinsel on the walls oh of course it does cutouts of elton john and rupaul oh and some banging cocktails as well Oh, we love a banging cocktail. It was really good. Uh, I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but I will definitely have to find it. I'll have to. I'll have to. It's in it's in the gay district of, of Paris. See, um, now, I, I, I went, was in Paris for my uh, engagement trip a, f- a few years back. That was the first time that I was properly in Paris. Um, and we had a fantastic time, but we I think we did a lot of the more kind of typical tourism experiences things like that um and it's only kind of in more recent years that me and my partner have been kind of venturing into more of a queer centric experience when we've been traveling i think sadly this time we're traveling with my little sister it's going to be her first time in paris Mm -hmm. you know so we're good again we're not going to be um you know kind of forcing queer culture (laughs) down the poor lassie's throat so um i think we'll kind of have a bit more of a kind of a typical parisian experience this time but there's something so thrilling about queer travel. There is. There is. It's such an exciting thing to be a part of when you're away. And sadly, oh, I've just knocked my microphone about and everything. <laughs> sadly, when we were in Athens, we didn't do it as much as I would have liked. No, but we did uh, We did go in uh, kind of different experiences. You guys you, went to a bar. We went to a bar. It was Sammy's Bar? Sammy's Bar. I think. It was different <laughs> it, was it was different divine myself and my husband went uh-huh and it was okay it was a nice little bar um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys went to a beach we did we went to the one of the queer nudist beaches um that was a little bit outside the city um and you know it was it was a that was a really eye-opening experience i mean first of all it was so freeing it was such a little bit of me to be <laughs> it was stark bollock naked in the sea absolutely loved that for me um but it was actually really interesting to do that because we'd never really done anything quite like that before certainly not you know out in the out under the sun um <laughs> and it was really such an interesting experience it was really like there was no seediness to it there was no kind of creepy vibes or anything like that it was very everybody was very respectful um, and I just find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those cities, and we talked a little bit in the last episode about feeling safe in cities and towns. Athens was one of those places where I felt genuinely safe. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the same for a lot of other queer couples. I mean, I saw queer couples on the underground, you know, like in showing public displays of affection Yeah. and being very comfortable with one another. And that's such a fantastic thing to see because i mean athens is the home of democracy yeah and being free and liberal and it shows yeah absolutely it really was a comfortable place and 
I, I think you would have got a kind of an insight into that because there was that feral night. It was the night that you were at the gay bar, actually. <laughs> um, I th- what was it? The subway closed on you guys and you had to walk oh like half the city. We had to walk so far to get home because we got on the underground and we got so far on the underground. And then as we were transferring to a different line, this guy goes, no, you cannot. <laughs> you cannot go. Train closed. Train closed. I was like, fuck. Right. <laughs> so me... Divine and Murray were just sort of like, what do we do? And we looked at taxi prices and we tried to get an Uber and things like that. They don't do Uber in Athens. It's a different thing. It's like a free ride or, oh, yeah, that... or, or, or a free cab or a cab something. I anyway. Couldn't work that out. We, we, we used it for to go to the airport on the Friday because it was so early in the morning. Yeah. But we, um, we, we walked home. Oh my god, <laughs> that, was, that was a fair walk, I'll tell you. Aye, but do you know it, it, we 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 went sort of past um, the big castle thing. What's that called again? Oh, the Acropolis. We went past the Acropolis because yeah. um, we were literally the other side of the Acropolis to the apartment. That is some walk, by the way. But it was a beautiful walk, even yeah. solely at night. I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel awful. It's just. I was walking up so many fucking hills. <laughs> well, the, I was tired. That was the that was the point that I was gonna kind of try and make there. I mean, it, it's really fantastic that you were having to to walk the length and breadth of the bloody city in <laughs> the pitch black at night. It was about two a.m. by the way, because I had yeah. to set up with the keys for you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but and the biggest uh, obstacle that you encountered on that walk was the bloody hills. Oh, um, awful, awful. I, but nonetheless, we are going to get into some wee bits and bobs that we do here on the podcast. And I thought we'd start with some news. But before we start in some news, let's have a little break and we'll be back with you in just a moment. So how about we get into some news? Um, this one coming courtesy of pinknews.com. Thepinknews.com, should I say? Uh, and it, as I said earlier in the podcast, this news is relevant of the 31st of October, but still fascinating, fascinating to listen to further down the line nonetheless. Um, so here's a fun one from our friends at the LGB Alliance. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. So the LGB Alliance has made a number of wild and curious claims about the terms queer and LGBTQ plus in an eyebrow-raising report. The controversial group surveyed its own members in a document published on Sunday the 29th of October to coincide with its annual general conference. The report attempts to justify the removal of trans and queer people from the LGBTQ plus acronym. In a post sharing the report on X or Twitter, LGB Alliance wrote, it surveyed our supporters to gauge their support for our position, a statement that was widely mocked for its lack of awareness around questioning its supporters whether it supports the group. Mm. The report itself is full of negative claims about trans inclusion in LGB spaces. One of the questions asked was, and I quote, how can LGBTQ plus organizations argue that homosexuality is valid and that a gay man who will not consider a relationship with a female who identifies as a male is a bigot? An anti-trans reference to trans men. It's just the same bullshit. <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah. And I can say this, and I've spoke negatively on the LGB alliance previously, 
They're such a barrel of cunts. Absolutely. Fuck you guys, first of all. I'm telling you as a gay man sitting here right now, if I'm attracted to someone else, I'm attracted to someone else. I don't care what the fuck they've got between their legs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's... it's The LGB alliance are, like you eloquently put it, an absolute fucking barrel of cunts. Um, they are deplorable. And I mean, I, I remember having a uniquely uncomfortable front row seating to the mm-hmm. advent of the LGB alliance because... Um, uh, again, um, without kind of going into too much detail about the, the work that I do, I work in a communications context and um, over the years there's been a lot of political um, political elements to that work. And uh, I, I, around the time that there was a, a, a certain furore kicking off at Hollywood uh, around um, trans inclusion and trans rights, the LGB alliance were gaining a lot of traction. There was a direct um, kind of relationship there. Uh, with certain members and their entire shtick is just based on utter horseshit and basically a tantrum. Yeah. There's nothing substantive about it. There's nothing, you know, really, you know, all this crap about oh, legitimate and valid concerns. There are no fucking legitimate and valid concerns being raised by the LGB Alliance. They're just spouting crap and creating fake scenarios for engagement that they can beat trans people over yep. the head with. Yep. Um, it's utter lunacy. It's bullshit. It's total bullshit. <sighs> and the, the article continues... The group, which has long been criticised for its anti-trans rhetoric, has routinely highlighted its objection to the term queer, often using the phrase queer theory as a dog whistle for discussing a gender identity. Um, Here are just a few of the claims made by the LGB Alliance in its report named Don't Call Me Queer, a survey of lesbians, gay men and bisexuals about language and its impact. Um... So the bulk of the LG, LGB Alliance's report delves into the results of the survey um, conducted within its own group um, and how they feel about the terms queer and LGBTQ+, and makes demands for people to stop using them across the UK. This does not sound much like free speech, which is one thing the LGB Alliance does appear to campaign tirelessly for. So that's a good point. If they're campaigning tirelessly for free speech, why then can someone not refer to themselves as queer or mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus yeah. or LGBTQIA plus? You know, they're, they're, you know, you can sort of do what you want. Yeah. Um, according to the report methodology section the lgb alliance received 2133 responses after emailing its 7021 newsletter subscribers and that's a response rate of 30 percent um it then removed responses from its non-lgb supporters bringing the total sample down to 1709 which is a response rate of 24 percent um, in the report, the LGB Alliance admits that the findings represent the views of the organisation and its members only, and therefore do not represent the feelings of the wider LGBTQ plus UK public. Despite this, the survey results found that 94% of LGB Alliance supporters, not the UK as a whole, like to be defined as LGB, while 7 in 10 feel very uncomfortable using the term LGBTQ plus. Why? 
Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense to me. No, absolutely. I think um, one of the things, um, you know, I've, I've been having a really interesting kind of series of conversations with some, some of my other friends recently um, around these kind of issues of identity. And I think it's just so disingenuous of a group like the LGB Alliance to try and take the very real struggle that the discrete groups within the LGBTQ plus diaspora have to gain you know, recognition to gain acceptance and use that as some kind of twisted and perverse way of um, attacking trans people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and non-binary people. It's so unfair. Uh, and particularly, it's quite rich. There's quite a sizable population among the LGB alliance, um, very, you know, notable members who are gay men. And I think there is just something that sticks in the craw about a gay man absolutely using and abusing a platform to talk about representation and how 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 unfortunate it is that we're, we're supposedly being written out of um history and being conflated with you know queer people and non-binary people that is absolutely insane are there issues within the lgbtq plus community where you know certain groups are not getting as much airtime or as much you know ability to kind of represent themselves or see themselves represented lesbians for example absolutely that's a problem yes is that the fault of queer people you know as a as a a discrete group people who identify as queer uh, is it the fault of non-binary people is the fault of trans people absolutely fucking not it's the fault of an irritating media complex controlled almost exclusively by straight white men absolutely Absolutely. And the thing, so I, I don't like, personally, if I'm going to look at me as a specific person, I don't particularly like it when drag queens are portrayed in media in a certain kind of way, like specifically the news, like RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that, fine, whatever. Yeah. But I don't like it when drag queens and drag performers in general are put under such a big spotlight. Um, And that is purely because, like, we've been left alone for so long and we've just been left to get on with it. Yeah. Um, So I wonder why the LGB Alliance want more of a spotlight on themselves, you know, versus queer and trans people. It makes no sense to me. No. I mean, it's... It just feels really, really, like, a, a symptom of this really disappointing conversation that's been happening for such a long time now and it's good i i think at the root of it it has absolutely nothing to do with any member of that group actually feeling actively sidelined or actively discouraged you know i I think as a group of people they've become incredibly good at creating a false narrative where they're a victim Mm -hmm. and i think where that falls apart for them is you know we, we are gay men here we are having a conversation about this issue. We are. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I don't feel oppressed, you know, or um, that my identity is in any way at risk because of, you know, other people in the LGBTQ plus spectrum no. being included as part of that narrative. No, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share um, a, a community with those people. As do I. And we have some phenomenal friends that are non-binary and trans who are just the most wonderful people. They don't give a fuck about being represented in the media at all. They just want acceptance. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? I just don't understand why that can't be the same right across the board. If a person wants to live their lives authentically, just let them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's just no reason to be so vitriolic and so hateful. Do you have an issue with being labelled as queer? No, I, d- I don't have an issue with being labelled as queer. And I, I, th- I think that there's a real... Um, I think there's a real issue around that. Now, I can understand. I think it's really important to, you know, in, in the interest of having a wholesome and holistic discussion around this and covering all the bases, I can totally understand the point of view of certain people, particularly, let's say, gay men of a particular generation, who, for, for them, the word queer was incredibly loaded and was used. I mean, let's face it, that was a loaded word for us when Abs- we were absolutely. at school and growing up. And, I, you know, I think... I know that this can very much be a, a question of personal preference and that people respond to and heal from trauma in different ways. And I and I am not taking away from the experience of any person who has a significant kind of trauma response around the word queer. Let's just be clear about that. However, then wading into the discussion, absolutely waving your arms and screaming bloody murder about other people's reclamation of that word and other people using that word as you know turning that into something positive turning that into a community of positivity that they can identify with that's where i i can't support that point of view if if you don't want to identify yourself as queer that's fine i'm I'm, you know i'm not forcing anyone to i don't i don't think anyone's demanding that it's not like you know the, the 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 council the lgbtq plus council has met and decided you can't call yourself a gay man anymore you're queer. No. You can you can label yourself however you see fit. Absolutely. Um, I I'm perfectly comfortable with the term queer. I think it's a wonderful umbrella term. It's a wonderful term that has been reclaimed, um, which was once uh, used as a slur, as a derogatory uh, slur. And it's wonderful that we can reclaim such a uh, such a fucking round word. Yeah. Because hey, it's great. I love it. I think it just you know. Instead of going to a gay bar, why not go to a queer bar? Absolutely. That sort of encompasses everyone and includes everyone and makes everyone feel warm, welcome and accepted. Completely. Completely. And I think it's important that we have the ability to be able to, to have that terminology because, you know, I was talking about my talking about this with a, a lesbian friend recently. Um, I, gay men are incredibly privileged in that we Very. have a lot of spaces that are specifically and exclusively for us and there's a, a you know a format for those kind of spaces saunas for example um, and they can be really helpful they can be a really beneficial thing um and it's fantastic that we have that and i was kind of curious because i i, I wonder to what extent do lesbians have the same um you know exclusive spaces particularly for their use and you know i i, I hope that that's something that um you know, continues to grow and evolve and that they, they have that. And we recognise there's an absolute need for spaces specifically for gay men, you know, as exclusive of other members mm-hmm. of the community. There's an absolute need for spaces specific for lesbians as exclusive of, you know, yeah. certain other m- members of the community. Uh, but there are also spaces that are important for us to come together as a more, you know, a, 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 as a more robust patchwork of the different discrete groups that make up our community and using, having a word, having language to describe that, you know, queer is as good as any. I'd say so. I'd um, say so. I think it's a wonderful word. I think it encompasses everyone just beautifully. Um, is there a need for lesbian spaces, trans spaces? Of course there is. Absolutely. Of course there is. Um, but is having just a general queer space such a bad thing? No, no, I don't. Um, and I think using a word like 
queer bar. And I think I can see a lot of clubs probably coining that and coining and using that phrase and, and turning it into something more positive for their establishments. Um, I know that the Doogie, for example, considers itself a queer friendly bar. Yeah. Um, not so much a queer bar per se. Um, it's for everyone. Yeah. Um, but do you know, I just, the word queer just feels so much more welcoming to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's more encompassing of everybody, regardless regardless of, of whether they're, you know, gay, straight, bisexual, sexually confused, whatever. You know, it just it encompasses everyone and it makes everyone feel welcome. And surely that should be more important than trying to get the word queer erased from the the dictionary yeah absolutely oh the lgb alliance what a drug totally (laughs) it's just it's i mean it's it's something else uh listen we're gonna go for a quick break if you have anything to add to that conversation you can do so at speaking.queerly on instagram and threads or by searching speaking queerly with madam joe and ruri on facebook You're listening to Speaking Queerly, the podcast with myself, Madam Joe Mama. And Rudy Thinsmith. And Rudy. Yes, Joe. I would kill somebody for a queer fact. <laughs> well, you won't have to kill me because I'll happily give you one for free. What if I give you a jingle first? Oh, if you give me a jingle, I will make it an especially good queer fact. Great. absolutely love that jingle and i absolutely love bringing the queer fact to this podcast week on week um so i am indeed off to paris uh in fact by the time this podcast <laughs> surfaces i will have uh, returned from paris so that's something so i thought i would um stick with the Parisian theme and talk about a particularly famous person who was not necessarily a Parisian themselves, but uh, certainly contributed to the queer culture of Paris during her lifetime. Um, So I am talking about Gertrude Stein. Uh, Gertrude Stein was uh, an openly lesbian American woman um, who lived with a lifelong romantic and domestic partner Alice B. Toklas. Um, So their relationship was one of the most prominent same-sex partnerships in the literary and artistic circles of their time. Uh, So this is in the early 20th century. Um, And they were both absolutely instrumental in shaping LGBTQ plus culture in the early 20th century and particularly in Paris. Um, Stein's identity and her relationship with Toklas were integral aspects of her life and work and really helped to contribute to that visibility and acceptance of LGBTQ plus individuals during an era where those kind of matters were actually, as we know, kept very private or even marginalised and stigmatised quite a lot. Um, so Gertrude Stein was known uh, particularly for literary innovation. She's best known for her uh, avant-garde and experimental writing, uh, in particular her work Tender Buttons, which pushed the boundaries of conventional narrative and language and challenged readers' expectations. Um, she was a, a fearless society hostess. Um, she had a, a Parisian salon um, 
along with Alice, uh, her life partner, uh, they hosted so many prominent artists, writers and thinkers of their time, uh, including people like Pablo Picasso, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. Um, She was an art collector as well. Um, So both uh, she and her partner Alice were avid collectors of art. They amassed an impressive collection of modernist art, including works by Picasso, uh, by Matisse, by Cezanne. Um, Their support for these artists contributed to the growth of modern art movement in Paris uh, and indeed in wider Europe and the world. Um, had a big influence on literature and um, so Stein's writing style and the theories that she explored have had a, a profound impact on the development of modernist literature she coined the phrase lost generation to describe the disillusioned disillusioned youth of her era uh, and her work inspired many writers of the time um Stein's contributions to the arts and her groundbreaking writing uh, and her role in promoting modernist culture in Paris have solidified her status as one of the most influential and iconic figures of the 20th century uh, in the literature and art scene. And I just thought it was absolutely astounding um, that Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Tuckler had such an amazing impact on the cultural and art scene that we know and love today, you know, uh, hosting and um, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Picasso, Ernest Hemingway, um, having that kind of level of influence on the arts and culture scene, then they were open lesbians. Open lesbians. At a time where society was not very kind or polite or gentle no. to lesbians in the least. There you go. So good for Paris. Good for Paris. And thank you for our wonderful Queer Factory. You're most welcome. We'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to Speaking Queerly, and it is time for Read It, Read It. <laughs> Squeal. Ready for another rousing rendition of Read It, Read It, Rue? I am so primed. Read It, Read It, Rue. <laughs> wow. Um, this one comes courtesy of Am I the Asshole, which is a wonderful subreddit. Um, and from user dryleg9006. I love these throwaway account names. They're always great. <laughs> um, now, am I the asshole for not telling my girlfriend that my parents are gay? Ooh. I'm 25 male. I have two parents. My birth dad, John, who's 48 male, and my other dad, Dwayne, who's 45 male. I call my birth dad, John, dad, and I call my other dad, Dwayne, pops. Okay. My birth dad, John, was married to my mom after a few years. Then she left my dad and, yeah... They ended up divorcing, and now she's somewhere in California. I don't know where or what she's doing. Haven't talked to her in ages. So dad and pops, I'm super close with. They are the best parents any child could ask for. I love both of them, and they're always, they've always been with me. My dad introduced me to pops when I was a little boy, and they had told me they were in a relationship. And I was all for it because I saw my dad become lonely and sad when he was single. So seeing the fact that my dad loves someone and has a life partner made me super happy. Pops and dad got married and we've been living an amazing life. I'm probably more close to Pops than my own dad. 
Jute the Fact Pops is really cool and he's laid back. I love both of them equally and they love me as well and I'm blessed to have them as parents. For a few months, I've been dating this girl, Bella, who's my age. I thought she's pretty cute and I liked her, so we kicked it and recently she told me my parents want to meet your parents and we want to come over for dinner. I said, sure, I'll tell my family. So yesterday, Friday night, Bella comes in, Pops greets her and says, come on in, sweetheart, dinner is ready. She said, you must be blank, dad's so good to meet you. You must be blank's dad, ah, right, okay. okay. So you must be Reddit users, dad's so good to meet you. And she shakes his hand and she sees dad come out of the kitchen. He's holding the mac and cheese tree with the mittens and is putting it on the table. Then Bella says, who's he? I said, oh, that's my dad. She said, I thought he's your dad. She's referring to Pops. I said, yeah, that's my Pops. And that's my dad. She pulls me to the side and says, I didn't know your parents are gay. Oh my God, why didn't you tell me? I genuinely didn't know why that'd be an issue or so because you're dating me, not my parents and all. So it shouldn't matter. But I guess it's a concern for her. Her parents came to the door after they parked the car and Bella tells her parents, let's leave. And they left. I told my parents I'm sorry and they said, son, don't worry, this is nothing new. And then we all sat down and enjoyed dinner and went to sleep. So am I the asshole for not telling? Well, that's... what. That's a really funny one. That's a really funny one. I mean, it's not funny, but... um, I I don't think so. I mean, okay, look, let's just get this off our chest. Bella and her parents are the assholes. Yeah. They are assholes. Yeah. So you're, I, I would say to that user, not the asshole for not telling them. But I do have questions. Let's see. Let's I do th- have questions. Let's ask the questions. Let's see if we can suss this out. I mean, I... Again, I love when people take that kind of perspective of you know oh we shouldn't need to come out yeah we shouldn't because yeah you're absolutely correct in saying that you shouldn't need to come out you shouldn't need to you know sexuality doesn't necessarily need to be a concern but I think we sometimes risk when we have a conversation you know like that being blind to the fact that you know there is resistance out there in the world and kind of it's important to have those conversations in advance I think so. I think having those conversations in advance is so important. And by the way, yeah, he's not the asshole. Bella's the asshole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think those conversations are important because, as you say, it's not the normal thing to see. It's not your 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 male female relationship, suburban marriage. Yeah, it is. It's two men in a marriage. Um, that you know i i do think you know a little bit of a hey by the way my dad is called john and my pop's called Dwayne. they are both my parents yeah um just a little bit of foreshadowing before you meet them i think that would have been nice but i don't think it's necessary no i i I think as well though there's something kind of fishy about being in a situation where the parents are meeting each other you know, like one set of parents is going to meet the other person's set of parents when, you know, how long have y'all been dating? 
<laughs> uh, and, and said if, a few months. Yeah, like, and, and I suppose I think it's kind of to me weird that in a few and again, straight people, y'all are so wild. Mm. A few months of dating. We talked about this last on. Th- th- there's a real theme. Um, I obviously feel some type of way about this. Evidently, they've been dating for a couple of months and they haven't talked enough about their personal lives that Bella was able to twig. Oh, <laughs> your parents are are gay. And actually, I suppose when you think about, and again, this is just you know, this might sound a little controversial, but just bear with me. I think there would be a reaction if you had dated someone for a particular length of time and they hadn't thought to mention that at all or that hadn't come up in any way, I wonder whether there's a bit of a reaction in terms of did they think that they were hiding that? Did they think that they were keeping that secret for some particular reason? Um, Playing devil's advocate as well, not to be on Bella's side because Bella sounds like a complete dick. She does. um, Maybe if Bella was aware that her parents had a particularly problematic set of views around that Mm -hmm. i think it's kind of a dick move not to give bella the heads up so that bella is then able to kind of decide whether or not they need to proceed or they need to take a a beat to figure that out how they're going to manage that dynamic because it's also kind of not safe for your dads yeah i suppose uh, you do need to have that you definitely need to have that level of um self-awareness around um your parents relationship and them both being male yeah um and uh, i need to think about this if this was my kid yeah and someone was bringing you know if my kid was bringing their partner to come in and, and their parents to come and meet us and i need to look at it from a perspective of okay how would i feel if my child didn't tell their date that he or she has two dads or they have two dads Mm -hmm. how would i feel about that i feel like drawing back to what you said if my child would give their date some foreshadowing and say i have two dads yeah then at least give that that time for the the other parents and for the date to go oh okay mm, never mind Totally. Because if you bring someone into that situation unprovoked, not knowing that they're going to be greeted by two dads and not a mum and a dad, yeah, it can be quite jarring for the wrong type of people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I, I, no, totally. I think it's weird that that wasn't discussed in advance. Like, I, I don't think I would go as far as saying, "Okay, you're the asshole for not saying it." No. Absolutely not the asshole. Definitely Categorically not. Categorically not the asshole. But it comes down to that communication thing again. Why are you not communicating with your partner yes. about your parents before you go and meet them? I think for me that raises the same question. Like I told Murray about my mum and dad before he met my mum and dad. Yeah, absolutely. And same with Billy and Heather, my, my in-laws. I mean, like, I think, um, I, I think it's curious if you're not having these conversations, but it raises for me the question of whether or not, and, and, you know, I know for a fact there are some straight people out there that (laughs) listen to Speaking Queerly on the regular, (laughs) mum, please, please write in. What is going on though with straight people not having these conversations or just evidently not talking to to each other? Because that's um, a bunch of uh, Reddit, uh, read it Reddits that we've done where I feel 
eminently the question off the bat is straight people why are you not talking to one another <laughs> yeah no it's, it's absolutely true um and it makes you wonder like what is going on out there in straight land what do you guys talk about what do you talk do about? do you just sit in silence and not do talk you just about put anything? the football on and make her watch like come on let's have some conversations totally do you know i was talking to someone at work let's let's get off of this reddit I was talking to one of my colleagues at work and they said, oh yeah, my girlfriend was super annoyed last night because I was sat playing the PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, but why would she be annoyed? I'm like, I'd be annoyed. Yeah. But why? And I'm like, because you're not giving her attention when she's come around to see you. Yeah. And you're not talking with her. You're not paying attention to her. You're not yeah. interacting with her in a human way. Why would you not do that? He said, oh, I was just playing my game and usually she'll just join in. Like, But did she look like she was joining in? It's uh, no. And me and Murray have this rule. So we have a PlayStation at home, mm-hmm. as do you guys. You have a PlayStation and an Xbox. Yeah. If I am playing the PlayStation, it is when I am by myself mm-hmm. and I'm not sharing my time with my husband. Yeah. As soon as the other person comes home, I go to turn it off. Or, they mm-hmm. go and, or he goes to turn it off. That's what happens. That's just the rule we've always had since we got a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a wonderful rule. I think it's really set a lovely boundary for us when it comes to that. And yes, from time to time, we'll fire up the Nintendo Switch or we'll fire up, fire up the PlayStation and we'll play it together. Like the Mario Kart's a ball of laughs. Mm-hmm. But you don't sit there and ignore <laughs> your partner. No, Absolutely and, goes, not. and I told him this rule, that's the rule we had. And he goes, oh, that's strange. But no, it's not. That's just our boundary. Absolutely. But that's the thing. I mean, and again, more evidence that, you know, queer couples are absolutely talking to each other to a level yep. and an extent that, you know, straight couples are not. I mean, with me and Derry, it's very different indeed. Derry, um, you know, he, he very much used to work in tech. For him, gaming is like a full-on lifestyle. That, that That's I, I've been the case since I've known him. And um, that absolutely has had a dynamic and made us both feel some type of way over the course of our relationship, um, you know, quite intensely. But the thing is, we have a really robust ongoing conversation around all of that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's clear what the sticking points are, you know, how long, you know, because I, I need to give ground a lot of the time and realize, okay, this is something that he absolutely needs to do to kind of to calm his anxiety, to feel some kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sense of personal release, whatever, you know, he, he, he really needs to game on his PC. That's fine. So there's an element to which, okay, I need to be respectful of that. I need to set a boundary around that. But then at the same yeah. time, I also have to be aware of my own needs and say, it's not okay for you to check out for an entire fucking day and just disappear into your video game because then I am left entirely on my own. And quite often we have an issue where, because he plays games as part of like a community, so he's on his headset. And I've had to say to him several times, for me, it can feel from the outside looking in, like you're choosing to be part of like a social situation that I can't join into. I can't be part of that. So if I'm sitting on my own, like a chump in the house on a Saturday night, um, you know, I feel a twat. Because I'm yeah. by myself and he's like, you know, having a whale of a time and he, he wouldn't see that necessarily as him going out. But, you know, it's still a social interaction. It's still a social experience that's, you know, exclusive. And that's fine. Um, but you you obviously have to have a conversation then about, OK, how often is that OK? And then how much is that too much? And, you know, you're, you're that's interfering with your ability to spend time that with your partner. That conversation and that 
fab dialogues there for you both. And you, it's an ongoing conversation. And conversations don't often end in one conversation. It no. can go on for a very long time. And it's one of those conversations for you two that has taken its time. And, and it probably will for a while. Totally. Um, and that's healthy. That's like, it's par for the course. Like you take that, mm -hmm. you know, as uh, th th just the consequences of being in a relationship. So instead of sitting there and saying, oh, my girlfriend wasn't happy with me that I was playing the PlayStation. Did you ask her why? Absolutely. Did you ask her what was making her unhappy? Did you ask her whether it was the fact that you were on a headset talking to people that she couldn't talk to? Was it yeah. the fact you weren't giving her the attention that she craved? Was it the fact she was sat in your fucking bedroom, sat on her Todd while you're sitting there playing games? We we don't know that. That's a, a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Honestly, it's it's one of those things that's like, and I understand with young people as well. I know opening up, because this boy's particularly young. I know opening up and having that dialogue can be very difficult when you're younger. I know that like when I was younger, it's something I struggled with. But now mm -hmm. as an adult, I can turn to my partner. I can have very open conversations and, and figure things out. There are things, you know, that will, there are some conversations we haven't had and that's okay. They will probably happen down the line. There yeah. are other conversations that we have that are ongoing and we're still finding things out about one another. A relationship is not something where you find everything out about them in the first year and then it's spiffing thereafter. Absolutely, and people change. You know, they do. People are well, changing look at all me, the time. Ten years ago versus who I am now, I'm not the same person. Neither. I'm gay now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you tr you tried to convince me that you were fucking straight, again, <laughs> not a chance, not a chance. Well, listen, I think now is a lovely point to wrap up this week's Speaking Queerly podcast. Absolutely. So, can I get a collective? Oh. Oh, my name has been Madam Jo Mama. Thank you so much to the Stove Network for giving us the space and the equipment to record this podcast. Thank you to my wonderful co-host Rudy. You're most welcome. Thank you, Joe. And thank you to you listening at home. As I say, my name is Madam Jo Mama, and please tell your cat I said. Pss, pss, pss.